Uh, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast, a mostly entertaining and at times informative place where we get to chat about all the things we love. Music and festival life, yoga and wellness, travel and adventure. We are your hosts, Jordan and Antonella. Our guest today is Alan O. I've shared the stage with Alan several times over the years, and as I found out in this episode, we share a very similar upbringing in the Seattle dance music world. Because of this, we also share fairly similar social networks, and I've always been intrigued by his dedication to the scene. He's one of those actively positive influencers in our area, always looking for a new way to give back to the community. As far as biographies go, he's an LA-born, Pacific Northwest-raised entrepreneur. He founded Bitcoin ASIC Hosting, the first public data center for Bitcoin miners in the Central Valley, and has been organizing and promoting music events for the past eight years. He has interest in Eastern philosophy, strategy games, and blockchain application, of which we delve into the first two quite a bit. Unfortunately, he had another engagement to attend, so we had to cut things a bit short. But without further ado, Alan O. Alrighty, welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast. Today we have Alan O. How's it going? It's going great. Sweet. Well, welcome. So, uh, a little bit about you. Uh, you've, uh, I guess, a little bit about us first. So, I first met you at Foundation Nightclub. We used to DJ together fairly often. Um, how's that DJ life for you in the moment? You seem like you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, yeah, DJing for me now has completely transitioned to a hobby. So there's really no expectation for um, having a successful night or playing out a certain amount of times or like maintaining any sort of reputation. Um, I made the conscious decision like a year ago when I took a corporate job to be like, you know, I'm going to have a clear separation between, you know, work that I do for money and things that I do for fun. And um, yeah, it's actually, it's really great right now. Um, You know, I, bookings don't come all the time but when they do they tend to be things that i want to do and uh i I run a monthly at rebar and it's very just like low stress compared to when i've done nights at bigger clubs i can kind of go any direction and uh you know just invite people that to play that that i believe in i enjoy being around and so it's uh definitely more of like a community um like social experience now instead of trying to you know achieve some sort of like metric or success which which how it was for a majority of the time nice yeah that's good to see i love that that was one of the first things i kind of noticed after i kind of first met you was that you started to just throw your own stuff you were like oh i'm gonna get this person to seattle and we're gonna throw this show um how'd you go about with that process was it just like this i don't feel like I don't know. It depends. Some people go into it because they have this just like dream to throw events and other people throw it because they feel like there's something that's missing. Well, I guess there's like a twofold answer to that. Um, My business partner that I do the Bitcoin data center with, uh, I met him. I sold him a paintball gun on Craigslist (laughs) and uh, and we were just like, oh, you know, you're pretty cool. You know, you want to smoke some weed? And I was like, yeah, I'm down. And then we just started like hanging out. And uh, he's like, what do you listen to? You know, I listen to some electronic music. And he was uh, he was an old vinyl DJ back in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, he was like, yo, you should, you know, like try your hand at it. And, and a couple of my friends had like a little Vestax controller or something with virtual DJ. So I went over and played with it a little bit. And uh, he had a lot of good advice for me. And one of the main things was 
You know, it's you don't want to be reliant on anyone else for your artistic expression or need to feel like you need to maintain some sort of relationship. So I actually started throwing my own parties. Well, first it was just, you know, house parties people would have. And, you know, I'd, I'd bring some gear and we had some small speakers. And then uh, I went to the University Ave. I was at UW at the time. And so it was really nice to have a big community of people that were willing to, like, come out and, and party and support. And so I went to a small bar that had a back room and i was just like hey you know if uh you know once or twice a month can i can you guys shut down a couple hours early and i'll bring in some music stuff and we'll just you know uh have a party and 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 play music and uh they were, they were totally down for it i'm still uh still talk to them sometimes and uh from there it uh started just going to like bigger and bigger venues the nights just sort of started to outgrow and we started sort of you know graduating from uw and leaving that area um, and then my first club gig was at Volume. <laughs> um, I don't remember who got me that or how it came about, but um, I started playing there. And I actually, I, I remember a very specific moment in time where I was like, you know, I want to start booking, you know, international DJs and whatnot. And I was actually, I think it was at like four or five in the morning. You know, I've been partying all night and I was like really drunk. And I was on my laptop and like, I really, really liked uh, this this uh, Swiss DJ for Progressive House named Dinka. And so I, I just messaged her fan page and I was like, you know, I love your music. Like you, you totally should come to Seattle. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I want to, you know, someone needs to book me. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll totally find someone to book me. And she's like, you know, why don't you do it? Here's, here's what I need. Here's my writer. You know, here's my schedule. Do it. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. So, um, yeah, I ended up booking her at Volume, and uh, um, it was like a couple months out. Uh, we did a Thursday, and when I announced that show, I think one hour later, Foundation announced Artie the same night on a Thursday. I was like, fuck, I'm fucked, you know? <laughs> like, what am I, I going to do? And uh, uh, luckily, I called her, and I called her management, and they are like, we can totally move it to Friday. That's fine. And uh, But she was going to be in town anyways, and so uh, I found doug mcintyre on facebook and i messaged him like hey you know i moved my show and i have dinka in town can we come hang out with artie and he was like yeah totally uh, you know just just give your name at the door and you can come hang out and that's sort of how i met sort of the upper crust of the people that were you know making decisions and and i learned a lot from doug he's actually been one of the more influential people in in my personal growth through music and promoting and and stuff like that so yeah, I, I always started throwing shows, and, and I've, I've I've always actually considered myself more of a, a promoter and event organizer than a DJ. I love DJing, um, but even I wouldn't name myself. There's so many amazing DJs that I admittedly love music more than I do and have more skill than me. But um, I, I love the networking, the social side of it, and um, and you know making opportunity for myself and others. And so that's sort of my philosophy on it. Nice. Yeah, it's a very similar kind of startup as me in some ways. Like I started, um, who was it? Ali Reza. Remember Ali? That sounds really familiar. Yeah. He, uh, he was like part of like the UW Plur Facebook page. And uh, he invited me to play at... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yes, I remember that. What now. was that club? Dante's. Oh, So Dante's. I started my yes. career at Dante's and then went to Volume and then went to Foundation. And Doug was the one who was in charge of all the booking at Foundation. So like all of my kind of <laughs> parallels are pretty similar on that, except for the like booking other artists. Um, yeah. And that's funny, though, because your philosophy is very much like... You know, I have my other businesses 
other things I'm doing. And then on the other side is just DJing as a hobby. Um, and that's how it was for me. And then now we're finally at this place where we're like fully blended together. Like mm. our gravity lift is this podcast, it's music, it's yoga, like it's all these things combined together. Um, and speaking of which, shameless self-plug, you invited us to come to one of your Thrive Nights and do some yoga there. Yeah. And so that was kind of one of the reasons that I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to talk to Alan because that's the whole goal of this podcast is like talk to people in the Seattle scene that I've known for years that I've met dozens of times. I've networked with them. I've talked on Facebook. We've whatever, but never I had a chance to like sit down and have a conversation. So like that's where this all stemmed from. Um, and so that Thrive Night, um, pretty excited for that because it'll be a chance for me to like DJ uh, a style of music that I don't ever get to play because we go out to nightclubs and we play this like high energy, either house music or techno or trance, like whatever your, your vibe is, you're playing something for the clubs. Um, and what I really like about the yoga is it allows me to play this like weird, like 114 BPM, like funny off tempo, weird shit, depending on what it is. Um, and so I'm really excited for that because I think that'll work well before your night. And I think the yoga is great. Um, and so what made you think about incorporating yoga into your Thrive Nights? Like, does that have something to do with your philosophy? Um, so when, when you rent rebar or book rebar for a night, um, if they don't have any sort of pre-existing uh, like uh, theater schedule or anything, uh, it's actually no additional cost to start at 8 o'clock versus 10 o'clock. But it's just really hard to get people out to do anything at 8 um, you know, if the focus is, is just music and drinking and whatnot. And so, um, uh, the, the person that I was talking to the tech there, Lou, she was like, yeah, you know, if you bring like a, like a big headliner, I'm sure people will show up early. And I was like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, that's not really not in my f focus right now. And I was like, what interesting thing could we do? Uh, that would be a great, you know, sort of pre-party experience that people show up and, um, that I haven't done yet, but sort of had interest in. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember if I just saw you on Facebook or, or something, but I was like, you know, I think that would be a, a really cool event. I got a lot of friends that are into yoga. And I mean, you guys are basically like yoga instructor, instructor. So you know, <laughs> it, that, I thought that would be really awesome. And, and you know, a, a, as a personal thing too, like um, being use, getting to know my body better has been like instrumental in my quality of life, you know, over time. And so, uh, you know, yoga is a great outlet for that. And um yeah, it just sort of felt right. And yeah, I guess it's similar to me coming on this podcast. Uh, I, you know, I want to work with people that maybe I've known for a long time and like, but maybe I have not had a time to go beyond anything other than acquaintances. And uh, it just seemed like, um, you know, uh, a great way to bridge sort of two communities that probably have a lot in common. Um, and I think that uh, it's the sort of you know awareness and mindfulness and that sort of culture i think is a is becoming popular in contrast to sort of what the you know standard you know social culture is being pushed by movies and the media stuff i think people are are waking up a little bit and want to connect with themselves and connect with the community and i feel like you know yoga as a, as a practice you know is very deeply rooted in in you know Eastern spirituality and Eastern philosophy. And, um, it's, uh, I'm a really big fan of, of Alan Watts and, you know, he talks about yoga as, um, um, well, I, I don't know if I could sum it up, but it, it definitely is a practice to enter into different, 
you know, states of, of wakefulness and, and, and consciousness. And it's something that, you know, I'm pretty like scatterbrained, like hectic kind of guy. And so anytime that I can engage in activity that calms me down and reminds me to, you know, focus on the now, um, it's something that, yeah, I mean, I'm totally interested in. So it's just kind of like a, at all angles, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Nice. Yeah. Cause, uh, I've definitely noticed through Facebook and other conversations that you have some sort of a mindfulness practice and you, uh, you always, you've seemed to me as someone who has some sort of that, that guru aspect. Um, she calls it like, uh, an old soul of a yogi in a sense. Um, and that's, what's really cool is that you understand the difference that yoga is not just the physical practice. It's not just doing handstands. It's not, you know, moving in a hot room like it's it's none of these constructs that you think it is like those are like one quarter of it that's saying like djing is just your ability to beat match but nothing to do with song selection nothing to do with reading the room like it's such a complex structure that is way more than just moving your body and you obviously understand that which is awesome and i love hearing it um what initially got you into kind of a meditation style practice? Was it just Alan Watts? Um, actually, I uh, I moved into a house that one of my friends moved out of. And uh, and so I, I was living in his room and, and all of his stuff was still there. And uh, and I was just sort of, I was like, I want to read a book. And that's kind of rare. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I was flipping through some of his books and there was a book uh, called Turning the Mind into an Ally by the Sakyung Mifam, I think that's how you pronounce it. But he's like the one of the spiritual leaders of the uh, Shambhala sect of Tibetan Buddhism. And, and I read the book from front to back, I think all in one sitting. And I had just never been exposed to a, a line of thought like that. Like, I mean, we all have our basic assumptions that create our reality and then we assume that's how life is and i'd just never been exposed to that entire uh a mindset um i think that uh, it's hard to put you know sort of my finger on, on individual things but it's, it's more of the like one connected energy you know it, your um spirituality is sort of like a personal experience and, and connecting with things and getting into like a flow and then from there i sort of explored a little more and then discovered taoism and I think that that philosophy is what I really identify with a lot in in my life and, and knowing the limitations of, of words and any time that we, you know, attribute, you know, a specific feeling or a specific experience to be a certain way, we're, we're confining it to, you know, all, all the preconditions of, of our language that we use of that specific word. And, you know, there's a much simpler, you know, fluid way to live where we don't need to say that we are a certain way or describe ourselves with certain adjectives or say that we're happy or not happy. Um, I think that for the point of conversation, communication is very important, but um, I, I've definitely started moving towards not sort of defining things in my life and defining, you know, relationships, experience, or even how I'm feeling. Um, and so I, I think that just in stark contrast to, you know, Western, um, beliefs about you know the world sort of being like created and made and it's sort of like this artifact um seeing the world as sort of at this like fluid organism that we're all a part of and we are not you know separate entities but like in the same way that you know a tree makes fruit you know the earth makes humans and we're all just 
you know, different parts of, you know, this one giant life organism. I dig it. <laughs> well, and and essentially we're all connected in that way. And, and so would you say that for people who are curious about Taoism, is there like some key points that really caught you, that caught your attention, that the Taoism for dummies kind of idea of like how if i wanted to explore this what would what would it entail um well i think everyone if they're interested should read the Tao Te ching maybe one or two translations of it i think each translation you know sort of has its own flavor um and of course there's going to be you know some translational difficulties but it's a very short book it's the second most translated book in history behind the bible and it's uh, it's a collection of I think eighty one or eighty three short like I don't know if they're like poems or stories or or what you want to call them but um, you know I think the shortest one is just a couple lines the longest one is maybe half a page or a page but it it's uh, sort of cryptic in a way it, it, it's really like dense material but it's it's sort of like a manual for for life and existence and pretty much for for everything it, it it's uh. It's a very unique book, and I think that if anyone's interested, you know, maybe you can start by reading that and then, you know, reading the history of, of who wrote that and, you know, other, you know, uh, you know, Eastern ways of thought like Confucianism and, you know, uh, there's just such a, a plethora of different mindsets that are out there. And I think that, you know, if you're not, you know, if, if you, you don't just totally 100% vibe with all of your, you know, um, your assumptions and your views of the world, I think there's stuff out there that, that can help you, you know, fill in the blanks. And so it's just, I think each person um, should, yeah, be more proactive if they haven't found, you know, something that they feel warm and fuzzy about um, at night, or at least brings them some sort of uh, contentness. So. How, have that, how would you say that has influenced the way you are in the nightlife world and your corporate job? I mean, I, I know that work-life balance at Amazon is a, is a tricky endeavor. And so I'm curious how, if you think that has influenced it in what ways, or is it just kind of your overarching idea of how you want to live your life? Um, I think a lot of the pressure to succeed in a certain way or accomplish things in my life sort of have dissipated um, after um, exploring more, you know, different uh, trains of thought and philosophies. Um, I think that what, what I basically narrowed down to is basically my only responsibility um, is to, you know, outlive my parents and, and, you know, try to make them happy and proud. I had this like realization that, you know, out of like, we all have the ability to make people feel certain ways to a certain degree. And I think the strongest emotion I can make anyone feel is giving my parents something to be proud about, you know, more than love to a partner or love to a friend or anger or anything. You know, that's just the strongest, you know, connection I can have with someone. And, you know, they've done just so much for me. And, I, and I'm very blessed and appreciative to have such a, you know, co comfortable upbringing. I have so many opportunities. And so um, I really don't feel um, any, you know, expectation of myself to, you know, accomplish anything in life or, or, you know, follow by any sort of, you know, society standards of, of what success is. Um, and I think that sort of just all ties back into um, 
the this like fluid thing where you know do do what feels good and and you know you you can you know put things on the back burner if you have short-term goals in mind but i think that the more you sort of get rid of the expectations to yourself of needing to do something in life you know life it, the whole point of it in, in in the way i see the world is the whole point is just in the act of doing it right so there's no there's no end goal there's no end product there's just by doing it you are living the point so so how do you uh i guess we'll say interplay between the lines of just living a life to live a life and be happy and hopefully uh live this life of success that your parents are proud of but also understanding that sometimes your parents may expect more of you because uh, that's because I agree like my life has been very much the same like blessed to have amazing parents that have given me so many opportunities that I'm very much the same way like I want to make my parents proud like I feel it there's definitely that like super deep part of me that's like I need to make them proud but what would you say to someone who felt as though their parents had too high of expectations on them? Say, you know, get a job at Amazon and make X amount of money versus follow your dreams of, we'll say, being a DJ. Uh, well, I think that I, I'm very fortunate that, like, you know, there, there's crossover between, you know, what my intuition wants to do and what my parents want for me. And so it's very, it's very fluid and easy for me to, to, to knock both out at the same time. I think that if there is inconsistency between, you know, what what you sort of feel your your soul and your gut is telling you to do, and you know the expectation of, of people that love you like your parents or or your peers or, or whoever it may be, I think that's you know one of the tougher decisions that we all have to make. And I just think that, you know, at at the end of wherever you know wherever we end our journey, um, we we can sort of picture now, you know, am I going to, you know, look back and be happy that you know I you know, shape the course of my life, you know, based on this person's opinion, or, you know, am I going to take that risk and just do what I want to do? And, and knowing that I see life as sort of more of like, as like a game. And, uh, and, you know, it, it, it's really, it, I think I take life to have a little bit less stakes than most people do. Like life, I, I feel like, um, in, in, in a lot of, philosophy you know western philosophy like living life and surviving and being successful is like really important i don't really feel like those things are are like super important so that sort of allows me to take a little bit more risk and you know yeah risk being you know what society may deem a failure or you know um not not you know meeting someone's expectations because i just don't think that ultimately life is is the serious thing that we have to play perfectly we just we're just here to just play and i'm trying to you know, get into a, a, a state where there's really no separation or, or between, you know, like a, like a work me and a play me and a stressed me. Like I'm really just trying to get to one fluid me all the time. And, and I guess that's sort of like my goal for it. So I know I kind of strayed, but um, yeah, I think obviously we, we care about people and people care about us, but at a certain point, you know, we got to dig our feet into the sand and, and, and make these tough decisions. You mentioned earlier that people are kind of waking up and that seems to be this cool aspect of today's society is that we have this ability to follow our dreams and still make money. Uh, it's no longer fully necessary that you have to go work for this big company to start making money. You can, you know, 
be an Instagram photographer and suddenly get, you know, a million followers. And now you're traveling the world, taking pictures and posting it on Instagram and getting paid six figures. Um, and I think that's really cool because it allows this ability for people to explore and take chances without fully worrying about what a, what their perceived expectations of a parental's viewpoint is because it's super easy yeah or societal but it's super easy to be young and think like oh my parents want me to get that amazon job when in reality more than likely they just want you to be happy but they want to make sure you don't throw all of your options away because you decided to try to become a full-time dj (laughs) in the nightlife (laughs) industry um but i think that's cool and you uh well uh if if i could like interject for a second i think um that's something that, I, that I've been thinking about a lot personally, and I think that um, a lot of people think about it too, is you know what is required to be a professional musician or a professional DJ. And um, I think I've gotten to the point where, I mean, and, and you know, there was points in my life where I felt like, you know, it was a possibility, you know, I, I had sort of like the right following and, and I, I, like, I think I probably could have done it, but there is a level of, almost like pathological work, work ethic that that's required to, to, to make it to the top in that sort of, uh, industry. And I think that, um, it took a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that I, I'm not like the hardest working person. I'm not like the smartest person, not the most creative person, but I can carve out a life that's filled with things that make my life richer, which is relationships. And, you know, we, I think that the, the media and a part, part of waking up is being sold that we have to, you know, have these huge extravagant stories that are, that are going to, you know, make ripples and, and, and affect all these people. And I think that uh, more people are realizing that, you know, they can be content and, and by them be content, they affect others around them. And it's sort of like a local level of, of happiness and change. And, the, the great thing, too, is that there are people who love working and love creating, and those people will bubble up to the top. So in some ways, it's it, it's it, it's sort of a, a good system because only the people that really have the full drive and dedication can, can reach those positions of success. And so uh, for a lot of those people, you know, we say people sell out at a certain point, but I think all those people, what they all have in common is, is extreme work ethic and... Um, and the desire to create. And I think that the more we foster that um, and everyone at every level from just, you know, drawing on a piece of paper with a pencil to, you know, creating symphonies, I think that the more we just sort of express what we're feeling inside, you know, the the less bottled up anger, the less, you know, repressed feelings, I think just overall happiness um, for, for, you know, our society or, or whoever um, is, is very reliant on that expression. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think Antonella would agree. That's very much my thought process. I go through a lot of that same, like, I don't feel like I'm driven enough. I don't feel like I'm talented enough. Uh, he, he calls himself lazy. I'm like, <laughs> you're not lazy. You just have different priorities than some yeah. people who are out there really hustling and trying to make, you know, produce their own music or whatever. And it's like, maybe that's just not your your focus and that's okay it doesn't have to be you can have a lot of things that you like to distribute your time and your energy towards and those are all going to make 
fantastic ripple effects. It might not be that one that you've kind of looked at or compared yourself to. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's easy to compare to like a specific. And the reason I keep bringing up like a DJ is just cause there's always a joke. Everyone and their mom wants to be a DJ and DJing super easy to do just all those things. But I think what's cool is that I've, because I've been so into that world, met so many people in that world, wanted to become a DJ so bad, wanted to become a producer so bad, but there's always this underlying level of connection for me. And like, I can't hold myself up in a studio for eight hours, five days a week to produce music because I need that connection. Seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's where like the, it for me, it's been going and doing yoga because I get to interact with people as a teacher and doing this podcast, I get to interact with people. And for you, it's been throwing shows. So it's kind of just like, it, it depends on what you want to be. And if you didn't have to be spending your, you know, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. working at a large corporation, then you could spend that time doing more networking, doing more advancing, and then you're able to connect with all those people and like live vicariously through those lives while still just doing you. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, to it, it's funny the the specific wording that uh, you uh, Antonella used um, because. I actually have the same view of myself that I'm a lazy person. Um, I've made that concession probably a couple of years ago. and uh, But I, I think that lazy is also a loaded term. And I think there's also advantages to being lazy. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Bill Gates is, uh, always find a lazy person do the hardest job because they'll find the most efficient way to do it. <laughs> and, and so I think that... Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, that, that line of thinking has definitely made my life more difficult at times, but I think that also that laziness factor, um, and I think a lot of the laziness stems from, I don't feel like I know the most efficient way to do something. So there's really no point in putting a lot of hours now. I just like stir about it more. And oftentimes I never come up with a better way and I have to slam everything at the end. But, uh, I think that it's just a, it's, it's a quality that I've come to terms with that I'm don't need to beat myself up more about not working harder and just to accept that who, who I am and what my work ethic is. And when I feel moments of, of motivation or inspiration or just power through it, even when I'm not, you know, that's something to, to take note of. But at the same time, I don't have these like regrets like, oh, if I would have just worked harder at this opportunity or whatever, you know, I, I need to be a certain way. So it, it's funny that uh, that word specifically was used because that, that is a concession I've made to myself. Yeah, we like we actually schedule lazy days. We call them fuck it days where it's really easy for us because we don't have a obvious nine to five or a typical day job. Um, all of a sudden we go weeks without having a, a day where we don't have some sort of a commitment. And uh, so we'll have to actually schedule out a fuck it day, like a day where we're just going to be lazy. We're not going to feel bad about it. And and then the rest of the days, because we don't get up for work at a specific time and then go punch a clock for however many hours, it does. It can feel like we're not being as productive or maybe we're kind of going over the lazy side and what I the way I try to look at it just because I think lazy has just slightly negative connotation to it and I think it's really easy to be hard on yourself and feel like you need to be doing x amount each day and I think it's okay just to say that this is not my priority right now or this is a lower down on my priority list maybe today a priority to me is meditating or taking the time to 
cook my meals from scratch. And because that was my priority, it took a little more time. And then maybe this work project didn't get as much attention or fixing the fence or doing the laundry or whatever around the house. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's really important not to judge yourself too harshly on your daily choices and to just look at them as like, am I moving from a place that is intuitive and and can I find a way to feel content with what my choices are? And, and if I really don't feel content about them, then maybe I look at it and say, okay, do I need to change my priority slightly so that at the end of the day, I do feel good about what my day looked like or what I accomplished air quotes (laughs) yeah i wish i was a little better at planning times to to not focus on anything or just relax i um i'm really a horrible planner you know just in general so i tend to not really very far in advance other than some things that like require coordination but i think um you know i think uh there's a lot of um like i like i've whole i've always heard you know, the idiom like, oh, it's good to stay busy. I'm staying busy. And I, I've really started to question that belief where it's like, you know what, I'm I'm not busy. You know, if someone wants to do something or something pops up, you know, my, my yeah, my ability to change what I'm doing and do that instead of staying to, you know, some some plan or needing to fill my schedule. Like, but I think, you know, it, there's balance in everything. Like today I, I woke up at four and, you know, I'm probably not going to go to sleep until like midnight or two, but like today has been one of the more fulfilling days, you know, in my life. So I think that, um, yeah, just, just taking it as it goes, um, is, is great, but you know, I might make a little bit more effort to just clear time to do nothing. Although I do find that I often find myself doing nothing even when I should be doing something. (laughs) If you could pick a day or clear your day for a lazy, what would it look like? What's your idea of a a make no plans, chill out kind of day? Oh, okay. I would probably wake up and lay in bed and watch a professional video game tournament for like an hour or two. Ooh, which one? Um, I mean, I really, like, I've, I've been playing Dota for a long time, and uh, I don't play anymore because it's, it's hard on my wrists, and um, it's, uh, the, the, level, the amount of practice required to perform at a level that's acceptable is, is now too, too much. But, um, yeah, I would, I would do that, and then I would probably go to an Indian buffet and eat as much as I could. And go home and then probably take a nap while watching something else and then wake up in the mid afternoon, maybe go to the market, grab some things, maybe call some friends. Chill day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, We're, that sounds like some Sunday. <laughs> is there any Indian buffet you would recommend? Oh, yeah. There's only one for me oh, Chutney's right. Wallingford. Okay. From 11 to 3.30. Ninety nine on weekdays, eleven ninety nine on weekends. All organic. I'm wow. plugging you, Chutneys, right now. You guys <laughs> wow, gotta go. we'll have to it check that out. It is bomb. Okay. And I feel like we both have food allergy issues we deal with, but I feel like Indian food's pretty doable. Yeah. Because they don't. I mean, it's all. You just gotta skip the naan, and you're good to go. Yeah, that's true. Uh, is it the gluten and naan? Uh, they make gluten-free naan. Oh, what? yeah, for the buffet. Yeah, you, no you, just, you just tell them you want gluten-free naan, and they'll make it for you and bring it to wow. your table. Wow. Whoa. Because we're also like dairy-free too, and but they don't really use dairy in yeah, anything. Yeah, that's easy to avoid. And they have like ghee, which is like clarified butter, and so they're good on that. Wow. Nice. 
That sounds delicious. Would you consider yourself a foodie? I mean, everybody obviously has to eat food, but are you? Do you like really um, like food? I I've gotten pretty good at narrowing down what I like, and so I've I've sort of just found the cheapest ways to get what I like the most. I'm down to experience, you know, unique things. Um, and then like when I go out and buy food, I, I tend to try to buy food that I'm incapable of making or it'd be too much work to make myself. Um, but I mean, yeah, I do eat a lot. Like not, I mean, my, my true glutton days are over RIP, but yeah, I, I <laughs> like, I mean, when I used to go to Vegas all the time, you know, buffets was my favorite thing there. I would just, I used to just love eating, but, um, yeah, I, I've, I've the, the most significant change in my eating habit that's probably led to like the most like health re- or effects in my life is it was buying a Nutribullet. Um, I use that thing probably two to three times a day and I go through, you know, one of those two pound tubs of greens in, in two days and I just like load my body up with fiber and leafy greens and I hate making salad. The salad just tastes like whatever sauce you put on it. So now I just like. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big salad person either. I love green smoothies. I love, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite way to start the morning. I just, honestly. I load it with like 75%. I just smush greens in there, almond milk, peanut butter, whatever fruit is available. And then I like the vegan protein powder from uh, Costco. Oh, the Vega one? Uh, I. I like Orgain, the taste of mm-hmm. Orgain better, but yeah, Vega has better nutrients, but yeah. It sounds like a very similar beverage to us. Yeah. In fact, I've had three of those today and eaten nothing else. <laughs> so Jordan loves like actual like food, pancakes, obviously gluten-free and stuff. He likes to actually make meals, but we get so overloaded with our schedule sometimes that there's certain days I'll either fast part of the day or I'll just do smoothies all day and it's just so much easier for me to not have to worry about cooking and doing dishes and do we have the right groceries and it's like you know I want to get a lot done today and I'm going to be on the go a lot and so yeah I definitely am about that smoothie life Mm, yeah it's um yeah I mean that single-handedly another thing too is like I've been so programmed to eat three meals a day at certain times and I've gotten better at just not eating when I'm not hungry and that's surprisingly hard because your body, your stomach is freaking elastic. You can fit a lot of food in there. <laughs> yeah. But but I've also read a lot of books and stuff that like digestion takes a shit ton of energy. So it's like that that takes energy away from relaxation, cell replacement, th- things that like you know natural healing processes. And and um, so yeah, I, I I've done a lot better at not overeating, which definitely was a a coping mechanism for various things for, throughout many parts of my life. Um, but yeah, I, in general, I think, you know, I, I tried a ketogenic for diet for a while. I did it for like a month. I got those like little piss strips where you, you can see that you're on it. And I was just like, this is not a life worth living. You know? <laughs> yeah, we like, did yeah. it for like three months. We both, I mean, it seemed like it started off well. I don't, my body didn't really take to it that well. Jordan lost too much weight. Yeah. He just doesn't have, a, have a lot to lose. But I eat all the time. But like you said, I just eat all the time and my body spends so much energy on digesting that like it can't fix itself in other ways. 
Yeah, food's a food's a weird one, and there's always a new fad diet, and everyone touts it as being the greatest thing on planet Earth. And there's always benefits to it, but there's always negatives too. And so it's just, I mean, it's like a, it's like a life philosophy. You got to find the one that works for you. Yeah. It's not just like well, oh, I, I my sort of food profile is is sort of based in the um, biology of a panda, right? So you have this carnivorous animal that has been domesticated to such a degree that it now only eats bamboo and it eats tons of bamboo, right? And so that is proof in my eyes that over time, what, you know, genetically your lineage, what you eat, your body has become accustomed to and can now turn that, uh, your body is most capable of digesting that diet. So sort of what I try to eat and focus on is sort of like, you know, what did my ancestors eat? And like, I don't feel bad about eating rice. I ate a shit ton of rice. And, you know, I try to eat as many vegetables as possible. But I think the most important thing is just like, I don't care too much about what I eat. The, the problem that I had with the ketogenic diet mostly was having to like carefully measure what I could eat and how much. And I, I that, that was just a lot of stress that I didn't want in my life. Like now if I get, if I'm craving a Dick's burger at like one in the morning, I go get it and I don't feel bad. You know what I mean? And I think that, um, that for me, you know, just ties back into, you know, I'm just gonna, I feel like the human body is pretty resilient. Obviously if I start, you know, feeling serious side effects, I'll second guess like, like pizza. I don't eat pizza anymore. Cause it's just like bread and cheese overload. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, grew up on pizza so that would be i guess that's less of what my ancestors ate and more of what like, my <laughs> immediate family ate but yeah i don't do pizza anymore either i miss she, it she always said the best diet is the diet you can keep mm-hmm. so it's like a ketogenic diet if you spend so much time stressing about what i can and can't do and how much energy you're putting into that it's not worth it like you can't keep it up for long it's not worth it if your if your brain and your body goes into these binging states and that's what i think happens with most people as soon as they think they're on a the four letter word of a diet they freak out and they go from this like over compensating i'm going to do everything perfect to uh, i just can't handle it and then they just swing in the opposite direction or they binge and it's just um yeah, ideally just whatever you can be consistent and mindful about is what's important to me. And we always try to minimize packaging. You know, whatever we're cooking ideally is just not coming out of a bunch of packages. So real foods. And then the tricky part is eating out because it's fun to eat out sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Like I definitely like to have the treat of going to a restaurant, but Nine times out of ten, we both end up with a bit of a tummy ache because we're just like, I don't know where what was in that exactly or how it was prepared. And <laughs> yeah, so that's why it's more of a treat. Yeah, it's kind of a, a general life philosophy it's similar to, you know, eating what makes you feel best. Like what life philosophy makes you feel best? Mm-hmm. And so people get too stuck to this rigid idea of, you know, I subscribe to either this religion or this idea, and therefore that's what I do, and I'm not open to other things. Well, that's why I like what you mentioned earlier, and and I wish we were, we obviously have these big obnoxious lights in here that aren't on. The goal eventually <laughs> is to actually record this, because there's a lot of people oh, yeah, who, want just to see, this. <laughs> who want to see us when we're chatting with people, because they would have missed what you did earlier when you were talking about the fluidity of 
the philosophies that you're you were actually like being fluid in your body when you were talking about it and <laughs> I love that I love that idea and it's the same thing with food is whether it's food or relationships or um your your nightlife um hobbies or your career or pleasing your parents like if it's something that you feel like you have to stick to this really rigid idea whether it's you might think it's your idea but it's probably not your idea it's something that's been implanted in you from elsewhere um if as soon as you have to stick to that there's like all of this trauma and and confusion that starts to go on i think in in the heart really it, you start to feel like things are tugging at you and the more you can be fluid and just kind of roll through life and just say all right what feels good and we really encourage that a lot in yoga and I know that I'm super excited by the way to teach for your event I was like when you asked us I was very very excited because we've been working really hard to combine music and yoga and they're very similar, as you know. And so is this topic of what we're talking about. It's like in a yoga practice, you can come in and take a class from teachers that are really rigid and they're very focused on the alignment and they want it to be a certain way. And I would say that we kind of flirt a little bit more with the line of thinking less about what it looks like and more about how it feels and really letting students have time to go inward when they're moving or maybe even in stillness to just explore and and sure I'm giving you ideas and I'm leading you a certain direction but I'm definitely not coming over and micromanaging what you're doing like I want this to be your experience and um it'll be are you going to take our class of course yay of course (laughs) good And uh, and then Aaron and I are playing after so we've got a nice little weird ambient-ish kind of heady set okay oh good to know okay so i should keep mine as heady as possible i mean i i'm putting no restrictions on it in fact i probably shouldn't say anything because i want (laughs) i want to hear unadulterated what you want to know that's that's good to know though so like i'm just but yeah we're starting pretty ambient low energy not even really a beat and then kind of moving into house music it'll be kind of a good reset anyway after the yoga because everyone's going to kind of stop for a little bit are you going to play like immediately right after are you going to give some time to kind of like uh i don't know i think um we'll see where it goes yeah yeah i don't think that that needs to be planned right now yeah well and that's kind of like you just mentioned like having your thumb on something like a quote that came to mind then was like the only constant in the universe is change everything is always going to change no matter what and so it's a, uh, I like having some sort of a plan to go into it, but everything's obviously going to change in the moment and how things are. Um, but I do like knowing kind of what a, a promoter is expecting of the night. And then I know kind of some parameters and I can, I can decide how far to push those parameters if I want to. Sure. Um, but yeah, like th- there are certain ones that we've done, like we did rooftop of uh, monkey loft and it was like, we wanted high energy. So I was playing like some fun dirty bird tracks in the middle of the set and then having it like chiller at the beginning and end. And the yoga itself was a lot more dirty bird style. Like we've played at camp out and stuff. So we definitely push the yoga limits when we're doing it festival vibes, especially dirty bird festival. Cause you can oh. get hella weird which is really fun. Um, but yeah, I, the ones that we've done that are more like we did Fred Wildlife and we've done Foundations and we've done yoga and music events that are more in a club setting. I do think that we like to go a little bit more, a little weird. Yeah, and yeah. I've gotten even more heady these days. I think I like the the current trend 
in some circles as as certain circles go harder and harder and harder other circles are pushing back against that completely like i said like 114 there's a lot of like french i don't know house music of just like weird offbeat stuff um and that seems to be kind of getting popular um it's a different genre, but similar kind of idea as uh, what Sean Majors is doing at Delicatessen, um, or by the pound, Delicatessen, um, having those lo-fi nights. I love that idea of just a total... We like, haven't been yet. I guess we need 180, to go to one of those. but it's not really a 180, but just this different style. I'm, I'm not going to the club to like party and get drinks and be ridiculous. Like We're going to like be able to have a conversation to some like chiller music. And so that's kind of the vibe I, I want to set, at least specifically with this yoga one is how do I get people to set a vibe inside themselves with this super introspective, weird, heady music. That's why it's called heady music. Cause we want them to go that place. And then after the yoga set, then continue that connection with other people as they're dancing around and the music builds. So I'm excited for it. But yeah, we, we do got to go to uh by the pound. We just don't live in Seattle. So it's like, <laughs> it's you know. tough for us to get out. And when we do go out, it's usually very planned. It's like, all right, we're going to go see this artist at this nightclub or for this show. But yeah, yeah. We're not really spontaneous Seattle people. You were supposed to go play Frisbee on Sunday. Yeah. I was, I was supposed to also, and I did not make it. You didn't make it either? I was supposed yeah. to go watch you play Frisbee. I told him that I will observe and do, I will help anyone who needs to stretch and do yoga before or after. <laughs> Perfect. But I am not skilled at Frisbee. I'm not like terrible, but I've never played that. What is it called specifically? Ultimate. Ultimate. And I don't want to be that one that like fucks up the team. <laughs> so I'm like, uh-uh. uh-uh. Uh, yeah, I saw Brian post that he kind of hurt his leg. And then Dave actually just moved home from Chicago after two or three years in Chicago. Uh, and as you can see by all of these synths here, he ended up breaking up with his girlfriend and then just kind of went synth crazy. <laughs> so we had none of these a week ago. This and then he moved rebound. home. And his rebound was by gear. There you go. <laughs> He's got a job at Amazon too. It's good, always good inspiration yeah. right there. So he yeah. showed up right before Jordan was supposed to go play Frisbee. And Jordan's like, I, I can't leave. I, I can't leave. <laughs> He's like, yeah. studio time here, all this dude. stuff. I can't go play Frisbee. But again, priorities. It yeah. wasn't that you were too lazy to play frisbee, but you prioritize hanging out with your yeah. bestie and playing with keyboards. I, I do love some frisbee though. Yeah. And it's it's a different form of exercise. Like yoga has been really cool because it's such like an internal focus, like get into it. And then we do our acro stuff, which has been this fun like partner thing. We can partner together and flow, but I miss that team sports. It's just it was one of those things that was so influential and integral to my life in high school and even before since I was three years old. And I never did any team sports. Yeah. I've always done solo sports. That's why acro is so hard for me because yeah. I have to like rely on someone else and like, I don't yeah. know. Have even, you done any acro yoga or just regular? Mm, we might have to do that with you. play with some of that. Yeah. Same was for me always like with gaming too. I could, I can't game solo. Like I, I need to have someone there that I'm communicating with, that I'm playing with, that I'm like calling hot spots out to. Like that's, I don't know, that's my jam. I don't know. Have you played Fortnite at all? Yeah, that's actually why I bought a gaming computer. I, I, actually, I saw you post about that. I haven't played any games since I moved to Seattle to work for Amazon uh, last May. And then I sat down and played a game of Fortnite. I was like, you know what, I could play this. Yeah, and uh, it, it's funny you you mention uh, because it, like 
uh, it's rare that I do want to play a competitive game by myself. Uh, but yeah, I actually enjoy playing Fortnite by myself. It, I think it's um, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I got a computer anyways because I, I like photoshopping Wesley Holmes's face on it. <laughs> but it's uh, been so entertaining, Facebook. <laughs> oh my god. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'll say it right now. Definitely one of my dreams. Uh, or not dreams, a goal that I have is to at some point own a professional esports team because I, I, I relate with gamers more than I can relate with professional athletes that, that play sports. We just don't have a lot in, in common. And I think that the fact that, you know, Dota has gotten so big, they're kind of sort of like the, you know, they have the international championships in Seattle every year. You know, last year it was like 24 million prize pool, like 12 million first place. It's like a lot of money, you know, and I think the the money is secondary, but what it really is, is people agreeing that, you know, this is um, the, the evolution of competition. And I think, um, you know, I, I personally think that the three best games ever made uh, are uh, chess, uh, Magic the Gathering and Dota. And I, I think that there's very deep-seated strategy and ever-evolving meta game, and there's really no clear way to win. And I, that's something that I'm drawing to because I'm a competitive person myself, um, but I don't really have a lot of competitive outlets in my life anymore. Um, so so being hopping on a game and being competitive is a lot more fun now because you know I don't really care about winning, but it's fun to be competitive. Um, and that, that's sort of like a, an aspect of video gaming that I missed. So it's fun to reconnect with that side. Will you backtrack for a second? I don't, I'm totally lost. Uh, you said one of your goals was to own a professional. An esports team. So what, how does that work? How do you own, I didn't, didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, well, what usually happens is there will be a, a team of people that come together. They'll form a team without a sponsor and then they'll play in like qualifiers for tournaments. And then every once in a while, you know, one of them will be really good. They'll qualify for a tournament and it plays pretty well. And at that point, they have marketing value from a brand standpoint. So then a larger organization will, uh, you know, uh, basically take on that team, brand that team as your organization. And then they pretty much plan everything from like, you know, uh, sponsorships to travel and things like that. And so, it, yeah, it, it'd be the same thing as like being a, a manager of a, of a sports team. Um, you, you, you find players that you want to, you believe in and grow with and think represent you as an organization. And then you market that to, um, you know, energy drink companies or technology companies or whoever will sponsor you. And then, you know, that it, is so cool. Yeah, that is so cool. I had Her no son's idea that super was into even gaming, a job. And so I'm, I've been kind of trying to push him in that route to like He's play in different amazing ways to me. So Jackson's a freshman in high school. He's 15 and we obviously schools like moderately important <laughs> but at the same time I've been kind of trying to really support him in any way possible because like what you described just now was not something that we could have um, planned for when I was in high school you know I couldn't have been like oh well when I grow up I want to be <laughs> that like, so I think it's just changing so much the opportunities of what you can do as a career or as one of your side gigs that you are really passionate about it's just so amazing to me that, that this is going to keep changing and it's so hard to plan for it though if you're a mom and you have kids and you're trying to help them figure out what classes to take Jordan and I always sit there and not try to help him pick out his class load for the next year and we're like I, I I don't really know. <laughs> sure, and I think uh, an important thing too is is to is to recognize that it wasn't just some spontaneous growth. There are tons of people, hundreds of thousands of people out there 
that dedicated their lives to these games when there was no prize money, no professional organizations, and they really laid the foundation um, for there to be, you know, a viable future in the industry for people going forward. And so, like, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a huge esports nerd, so I, I follow like the stories of players that I like and sort of the upbringing. And so many of them, you know, dropped out of Ivy League schools to play full time for 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 crumbs. You know what I mean? But but it's really the desire to be in the best at the world at something. And when you have that competitive drive, and not everyone does, but some people do, and they know it. You don't get that many opportunities to be the best in the world at something. And so, yeah, they recognize, and these are some of those tough decisions, right? You know, they they recognize that they could fail and it could never become anything, but they decided it was worth it to to go forward and push for it. And now they're playing on, on huge stages in front of, you know, millions of people. And, well, it's, and then from the mom perspective, it's been really hard because over the years I had plenty of judgment from other moms going, wow, you really let him play a lot of video games. I'm like, yeah, he's really good at it. And he's not just like, I don't know. He's like really interested in it and he's constantly trying out different games and I don't know. He's had every console I can even. He's more think of like of. one of those kids who's just like interested in everything and playing. So like in terms of like a dedicated like less single game to be, to be super best. good at, yeah. he's less of that like good at, and he's more of like an architect. Like he likes to play it all, and I can see how he loves all the strategy of all the different games. Um, yeah, I think it's like something I've definitely been keeping an eye on is is the evolution of gaming to augmented reality and virtual reality, and then also like synced virtual reality, where the now that you you have people, um, you know interacting with the same objects in the vr space and i I just think that we just have no idea where it's gonna go and it's super freaking exciting and like you know i have uh, i have a friend that like was thinking about programming in vr and he was reading textbooks and telling me all these really crazy things that go into programming you know uh, vr that your brain won't give you motion sickness and and all, all these interests and we haven't even scratched the surface yet right like there's not like pretty much all the vr games out right now are very simple one-dimensional things and you know i mean uh, like I, I feel like you know some Ready Player One type of t- world <laughs> shit is like almost inevitable, right? You know, maybe not in my agree. lifetime, but uh, or maybe so. You know, yeah. the, the 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 I think it could be, yeah. So uh, I I just um I just re- uh I was listening to I don't remember who it was maybe it's a comedian or something, but but it's something I always remember. And like I see video games as a as a form of artistic expression, right? The person that that's making the game makes content. And uh, he, he said it was funny because video games are the only form of art that will punish you if you're bad at them. Like, <laughs> you, you, if you're bad at listening to music, the song doesn't stop me. Like, nope, you can't earn anymore. Or a picture won't stop you from looking at it. But a video game will make you feel bad sometimes if you're not skilled at it. And I, I just thought that was a funny interaction to have with, with an artistic world, right? Yeah, yeah or it'll make that you is interesting. scream at it. Yeah, that's my problem anger. is I get way too angry. <laughs> he gets so like, angry. I, I used to play Halo 2 competitively and like that was my jam. And I sometimes wish I had put more time and invested more energy into it, but it's really this diminishing returns because the better I got, the angrier I got because I was getting so used to just destroying kids that you would get into a game and someone's better than you. And you're so irate that you could lose so yeah. i really had to like scale way back and- i i quit 
one of the reasons I quit playing Dota a year ago was like when I won, I felt okay. When I lost, I felt like shit. So it's like I'm like stressing <laughs> out to feel okay. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you know? It's like it's, yeah. it wasn't worth it. That's how I feel right now. That's why I haven't let myself download Fortnite. I downloaded it on my phone and I've tried playing the mobile app. And I've played okay, for like I can't a even couple hours. That would be like. Well, it's it's kind of ridiculous and pretty difficult, but at the same time, what's cool is that it's not cross platform. So it's oh, just yeah. everyone else is playing sure. on their phone. Oh, yeah, that so that it's like not, no one else has yeah, it. Everyone's all particular janky, excess like, spin about around it. in circles. Yeah, and so it like takes longer to be able to do stuff. Um, but it's definitely an interesting game. I, I like that kind of evolution of where things have come. It's definitely fun watching these Twitch streamers who are just nasty. Like, sure. I, would, I would love to do some sort of a setup, but like, and I, it's funny too how the evolution of these game types often spawn as custom modes from other games, right? Mm-hmm. So like originally, I feel like the the first two competitive multiplayer game types were first person shooters and real time strategies and then you know the multiplayer online battle arena was created as a custom map on the warcraft 3 engine um and that's what spawned dota and league of legends and then you know you had the battle royale uh, spawn as a custom game in arma which now has become its own genre so it's like people are taking existing technology retrofitting it to something new and then that is becoming the next big thing and so it, it is like this fluid evolution of what stimulates people what is the next you know step in competition and yeah it, it's it's really cool to watch so it's tempting to want to be really good <laughs> oh i've given up that i, I, I know gotta find contentment find contentment we have to wrap this yeah. up so i, I wanted want to ask to, one more question i know right i yeah. feel like there's a lot of things i still want to get into <laughs> we'll have you. to do a part two yeah we can do a part two sometime sounds great uh you mentioned before one of the things that you like about having that gaming setup is that you have photoshop so you can photoshop wesley's face on the stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh and so I remember reading about how I think you made a post recently about how you met Wesley and Gina all them, all them at Cascadia a couple mm-hmm. years back. Um, and Cascadia is coming up again this uh, summer. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted your take kind of on how all that evolved with being in a festival world and how that's kind of like shaped your experience in the the nightlife industry we're at right now oh yeah well i mean gene and wesley you know i'm so appreciative that they've they've you know sort of you know taken me under their wing and, and been really supportive and, and and taught me a lot of things and give me opportunity the, the circumstances of our meeting is actually kind of funny um, I was like, I've never been to sort of an alternative festival before where you like pick your own campground and stuff. And I was super oblivious and, and, you know, they got there super early and set up their tent in like the best spot. It was just like right in the open. They had this giant banner there that everyone could see. And then my friends and I were like, oh, yo, look at this spot. And we literally just put all of our shit right in front of their banner, right in front of their <laughs> tent. And like Gene was saying in his head, he's like, what the fuck? This kid just comes up and puts his shit right in front of our spot. He's like, He's like, fuck, like, God damn it. And then, uh, and then like slowly over the weekend, we started getting to know each other. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we ended up being friends and, you know, we had all the time now, but it, it was, it was funny. The circumstance he's like, man, who's this punk kid just coming in here? <laughs> and, uh, but, but I've also, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, the circumstances of which we meet people that are really close to us, you know, I think that someone that has the potential to be a really long-term friend, uh, sometimes there is like a weird clashing of energy when you first meet and it's not always like it's just a super clean connection, you know? So I just think, I just think like being open-minded and, uh, and yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I feel kind of foolish, but then at, at the same time, if I didn't do that, then maybe I wouldn't have met him, uh, you know, at that point in time. And so, you know, uh, I, I guess sort of the capstone of that whole thing is 
all the best things that have happened to me in life are not things that I've planned. So just just having an open mind and you know understanding that I, even I don't know what's what's best for me and and then the, the greatest things sort of spawn as long as we are perceptive to the opportunities that are before us. So I think that's an absolutely beautiful <laughs> way end. to end that podcast. Damn. Beautiful. All right. Well, Mr. O, thank you so much for thank coming you. in. Yeah, thank really you so much for having it. me. This was really fun. Yeah. And we will see you for the, the next Thrive event. What's that? June 1st? Yeah, June 1st. Yoga. Yoga is going to be from 830 to 9:30. Then we're going to have music till 2. So yeah. Come. Sweet. Anything else you want to promote? Anything else? Uh, Anything fun socials? coming up? Um, we can put it all yeah. on the on the website. Yeah, uh, yeah. Call someone that you really like and say hi, and that you appreciate them. Yeah, an actual phone call. Yeah, phone call. Yeah, I agree. Or a Facebook sticker. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you do I love do your like, Facebook. I stickers. like those stickers. Awesome. Woo! All right. Thank well, you. on that note, thank you, Alan. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Lift Podcast with Jordan and Antonella. If you like our show and want to find more, check out our website at gravitylift.space. And when you get a sec, please rate and review us on iTunes to help us spread these vibes far and wide. 